Hello, hello, and welcome to the Finding the Unicorn in You podcast. What a beautiful day to inspire lives. My name is Dr. Jaime Cabrera-Dagosa, your host, and I'm so excited to have you here. Let's get ready to meet some fantastic unicorns and learn how to unleash the innate unicorn in you. Let's get started. This is a special episode, not like the other ones. This is called a Unicorn Roundup, where we actually have several guests come in to talk about specific topics. The topics for today are going to be family and breaking the glass ceiling. So with me, I have Rosie, Vanessa, and Berenice. And they may seem familiar to y'all because they've actually been on the podcast before. Um, this is going to be a more relaxed episode. So what does family mean to y'all? Um, it's not necessarily about who's related to you, but like people that are constantly in your life. Okay. And so people that like check in with you or constant communication with you. <clears throat> and there's certainly lots of extended family that think are family. And then are necessarily always there for you the way that your friends are or the people that you choose the, choose to be in your life. 100%. I definitely, it just really depends on who you let in your life and get to call family. So Rosie, what does family mean to you? I think you're taught like when you're a kid that like your family is just your parents and your siblings and like your cousins or like extended family in that sorts. And then as you grow up, like, I think you start realizing that, man, sometimes my family is shitty and you're like, why do I even have these people? And they're the ones that create the toxicity or the drama or the trauma or whatever, right? And then it's like, why weren't you as a kid taught to be a be willing to have, like, friendships or other people in your life that can be just as meaningful and be just as impactful, like, in your life? Then... The people that your parents said, like, once upon a time, this is your family. Not that there's anything wrong with the traditional sense of, like, family, because I had a really good childhood, I think, like, growing up. And I know it's different for all of us, but, like, I, when I imagine, oh, I'm, one day I'll have kids and get married, I just continue to think, oh, all my cousins are going to be in my kid's life and we're going to continue to be this close and continue to have the same bond and relationship. And, but as you get older and things change, it makes you sad a little bit that you don't have that anymore at least it for me but at the same time you build that bond with other people that bring the nostalgia back yeah that bring in that feeling of oh i actually do need with whatever and so i think the perfect example in this podcast right now is like ness right she's not necessarily my sister but and i see her just as much <laughs> as i do probably vet it and like I'm excited for her now that she's married and having a baby, moving on with her like next stage of life. And I'm over here. I'm gonna be the tia of this kid. Like, I'm not even related to her, but I'm definitely gonna be there for all its milestones and everything. That kid is not gonna know me as its aunt instead of probably like somebody else. That wouldn't be involved, but like that will definitely be there. I'm just tagging along. Yeah, like her ex- other extended cousins. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree, and I think that. The same sentiment as you, like, I always thought that my whole family was going to be there with me and like, regardless of what happened. But as we grow up, we see people drop out of our lives or not be as consistent or there's petty family feuds that it's kind of like you like, oh, we're all mad at this person now. So you have to be mad at them, even though you had a really good relationship with that person. So how do you think family, the your definition of family changes over time as you go through like, is there a certain moment in your life where you, that it broke, that definition of what you've always known, knew, and were cherishing? 
so going back on what like Rosie said, as far as like you you grow up with this like standard of like it's your immediate family, then it's your extended family, and then you just don't know anything outside of that. And I with me personally, that definitely switched after I left for college, I think. Because even when we were in high when I was in high school, we were still getting together, we were having family gatherings, and then it wasn't until I noticed when I left, like just the communication stopped. Not like immediately at first, right? Like people still like, hey, how are you? And like the texts were coming in, the phone calls. But then well, as you get busy, life just takes over. And like you you stop reaching out to people, people stop reaching out to you. And it just like starts to excommunicate from one another. And then once you, yeah. And then I got a job and then I got busy and started making friends like out here in Riverside instead of out where we grew up. And <clears throat> it's just it's just complete shift from your you growing up in your day-to-day and it just changes um but for me it was definitely when i went off to college but yeah Yeah. i think i probably have to say about the same time i know i went off to college sooner than that i did because i'm older but i i think like by that time our family was just hanging on by a thread and they were just still putting up the facade because they wanted to still paint this picture that we were like one perfect happy family even though there was like all this stuff happening in the background and like the parents or adults didn't want to tell us because they didn't want to ruin our childhood whatever i really don't know but i think wait because i got so busy when i was in college to Figuring out like what my adult life was going to be like and figuring out what it was like to be by myself and get a job and all that. I didn't really care much to to feed into the drama or whatever what was happening at home anymore. I almost like preferred that like I wasn't there. Yeah. Because I would come home on the weekends and then met it or my mom would be like, oh, this happened and this and now this person is arguing. And it's like, cool, okay, thanks, bye. And then I would just like dip and it was like, not my problem like out of sight out of mind and um but i think that's when you started seeing the drift and now you started putting attention and effort into the relationships that you wanted and that you cared about and then you started realizing that it's like you didn't want all of that was happening and so you just allowed it to let it go so when was when was the pivoting point for you vanessa i would say about the same time that that weird spot between like you're about to graduate high school like you're gun-ho on you still want to be friends with like your high school friends too and consider them family because you've seen them probably since you were like five years old a lot of them and you're like ah like I want to keep these people around but then you graduate and you you lose touch with them and I feel like that's the first stage of realizing oh okay like people are very fluid in life and then once you go off and you graduate and you go into college or you do whatever because you know college isn't for everybody but once you gather around people that are around you every day and you create bonds with people, it really teaches you sometimes family blood relatives are just as fluid as the people that you went to high school with. I definitely think it's also part of like your routine, like how she was saying, because you're so used to seeing these people on a day to day basis that it's just they're mm-hmm. built into your life. You see them every waking moment because you go to school, you come home like they're there and they're a constant and then you leave or something happens where you're not seeing them every day and that's when things shift 
because even that's I feel like the same thing with friendships, right? Like you start talking to people, you text, you call, you FaceTime, whatever. And then something happens, they get a different shift at work or they move away and like life just intervenes and gets in the way and you don't talk to them as much as you used to. Same thing with like family and the people in your life, like high school people or elementary people, like you don't talk to them anymore. I wonder also if it's for us very similarly because I think your parents start realizing like they've grown, like they're not kids no more. And so they start allowing you to see things and not arguing behind a closed door or mm. whatever. So then you just start seeing it. You're not dumb. No. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's not, oh, I'm oblivious. I'm just playing with my toy. Like you pay attention and you hear a night. So it's like, oh, like I'm, I'm turned off by whatever is happening. But I'm also curious if our, do you think like our children are going to be like, oh, like my family is my mom, like or parents, friends are not like the real family. Maybe. Or like when they're like, oh, this is my aunt, but she's my mom's best friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like she's just some you know, crackhead that she decided to become friends with. You just adopted her in her life. Oh, she's here. Or maybe they'll have one And then we'll be like, oh, I can't have close friends because like my mom's best friend was supposed to be my aunt and she's an asshole and you know, like now I'm going to only stick with my, my real sibling. So it's a possibility. I, I do think that it's the same con- like same thing that you that y'all were saying <laughs> where I thought like I was going to grow up with all of my, my my same cousins and everything and it's just you guys pretty much out of my immediate family and, and even with my sister um, she went to Washington so the my reality changed she's not going to be here like to grow up with everybody else so it's like i'm not gonna be able to see my niece grow up mm-hmm. because she's not here so it's just even like the way i thought things were gonna go isn't the way it's going so i do think that our kids may i don't think it's gonna be a problem for them to get along with our families but i think they, the questions might be like who are my other cousins who are this and who are that especially when they pop in and out i think those questions will definitely come and especially up. when one family is probably like a lot more involved than the other. I feel like that's where it comes into play too because I grew up a lot more attached to my dad's side of the family than I did on, with my mom's side of the family. And I feel like that does also play a big role. Being curious when you get older and making decisions on whether you know you do the side that you talk to or you don't like the side that you don't talk to. Because yeah. that plays a big role too when <laughs> figuring all that out maneuvering you, your way through life i think for us too because like we grew up with our mom's side of the family and not necessarily seeing all of our dads especially because our dad's family side of the family was like split in a bunch of different areas like a bunch of them were in mexico somewhere out in arizona we have a lot of family out in chicago so we hardly ever saw these people and for the majority of like our childhood we never saw more than just like my uncle peter and like his kids and we didn't really get along with them so we're like we not we don't want anything to do with his side of the family because we don't get along with them so we might not get along with anybody right and it wasn't until um when did we go to chicago 2016 2017 we went out to go visit more extended family on our dad's side that i think i also started realizing like oh these people are not bad like they're really nice super welcoming and like i talk to them all the time now and started building a relationship with them and when they like i actually get really excited to see them because like they're they're so far away that we don't get to see each other very often but it's a different type of relationship because you're still feeding that building that relationship with them versus people that are like 
right next door and they don't even talk to me anymore. Yeah, I agree. And do you all think that this is because like a Hispanic thing or do you think that this applies to like other culture? If we were to be white, let's say, do you think we would have the type of the same type of like norms that we have now? I don't even know because I'm married now and John's white, but he's an only child. And so I don't I don't even know. (laughs) Like, I know he doesn't like for him to compare things to. And so I know when he started coming around here, it was a little bit like mm. overwhelming for him because he was like, oh my goodness, like, you're, how do you argue with me like all the time? And then five minutes later, Bede and mm-hmm. I are just like, fine. But it's like, we do that all the time. And that's how you just get used to your siblings. And so John was like almost traumatized because he's like you, how do you argue like you can't be doing that and he would get upset with me because i go at it with Betty. it's like bro like that's just how it is like you big girl with children and or he would see like how competitive we would all be um, with each other about trying to get like my mom's attention or just being better or whatever and he's like what it's just such an interesting dynamic to see another he's like getting used to it like you could just hear Vede and john like in the kitchen just like having the most ridiculous arguments about like nothing and then john's like gets so frustrated because he's never had these arguments before but it's like so comical because i'm like bet it doesn't even care but then john is so upset and he turns red and everything like it's (laughs) pretty great to see but i honestly like i don't know like i see john is more like disconnected with his family like it's like oh if there's like a party or like some type of event then they show up for maybe a couple of hours. But outside of that, like, I don't really see him, like, hanging out or talking about his family. But I also don't know if it's because there's a different dynamic or just like a cultural difference or what. I mean, he does have a half of a Mexican family, but they were, like, mm. third generation. And so, like, compared to us, we're, like, first generation. And so the dynamic is so different. Like, everyone in his house speaks English. And there's more of a mm. Chicano route than like through mexican um and so the dynamic is so different now his house and i know ness your husband's not hispanic do you feel like it's the same or different i feel like they actually co coexist within each other there are certain things that he'll tell me about like his family and the way that they handle things i'm like oh (laughs) yeah that sounds pretty mexican to me and he'll tell me the same thing i'll vent or complain and things like that yeah, it's the same with my family. I'm like, oh, okay, so he's Indian and I'm Mexican American, and you know, growing up here in America, that does change like your perspective on things a little bit more. But we definitely have like very similar like childhood memories, especially when it comes to like families or arguments and stuff like that. So, in in reality. I feel like when you have a large family, regardless of what cultural background you come from, I do believe that it they do somehow like cross over. Like you're going to have a similarity with somebody when it, only when it comes to like large families. Like even if like I, I come from a household with two siblings and yeah, my household was a family of four. It wasn't very large, but I had so many cousins and aunts and uncles and I only had one grandparent primarily my whole life but still just the fact that I had all these family members that I can turn to and hang out with and stuff and we can argue and you know spread chisme about each other Mm -hmm. because that's just what happens and I'm pretty that that happens in 
white families, Asian families, black families, any anybody with a large family base, it's going to be the yeah. same. And I don't have any other, me and Veda are the only ones that are single here. We, we don't have another spouse paired to, <laughs> but I, <laughs> <laughs> just for my friends that I see that are not Hispanic, I do see the differentials on how they, they do things. And I would say think, oh yeah, my mom used to wash my mouth when I used to say a bad word with soap. And then everybody would be like, oh, that's not normal. But that's what we did. Or they'll put sabina in our mouth or chile just when we were doing bad things. And they're like, that's not something yeah. that we, that is normal. And I was like, oh, I guess it's just Hispanic. Yeah. <laughs> just your mom, because my mom never did that shit to me. Yeah. That yeah. happened to me. <laughs> my mom My mom tried that with the pacifier because I was that kid that had it till I was like 100. <laughs> so. <laughs> so how old are you now? 200? Hey. Look, like, <laughs> we don't have to talk about age here, <laughs> even though I'm the youngest one here. Just saying, guys. She, yeah, she would dip that. She would dip that thing in like the juice of the jalapenos. And I will be an ass and be like, I want more on it. Keep it coming. <laughs> That's why she's so spicy now. Yeah. <laughs> didn't deter me at all. Said, this is real good. Oh, but since we are on the topic of like different gen- um, different ethnicities and whatnot, I did want to bring in um, the topic about glass ceiling. So being like, I can't speak on this topic. So this is on three of y'all. Being a woman, do you think it was difficult or different than your male counterparts to get into the jobs that you're in now or just getting through life in general? Do you feel like you had to be different or try harder than your male counterparts? Yeah, I feel like first, just... you would be the best yeah. to go first because... The most successful. Not even the most successful. I just think that there is more of a competitive dynamic in her field than there is in mine or even Nessa's field because I work in like higher ed and there's it's very female dominated or yes in my field. So all I see are women every single day, and it's very rare that we have male counterparts doing our job. So it's a I think it's a little bit different on my side. So I. Can't really say, oh, yeah, it was so hard to get into this role because there really wasn't a lot of competitiveness from a male counterpart on my end. Yeah, there there are people that are a little bit higher than me in a director position that are are males, but it's not necessarily because like he they got there because like they they're a man and they escalated to that point. But I think they would have to say that I've been very blessed to not have to be challenged by breaking through like the glass ceiling as they call it or to have to go through like a lot of dynamics so like the environment that i work in it is very dominated by male it's just like a male it's part of the operation of where i work it's very male dominated however like in hr it's very like a female dominated field for the most part i think it's because people will have to be in tune with their feelings and be empathetic and all that stuff, which if you really know who I am, like that's very much the opposite of who I am. So I think it's very hilarious. But I think in specifically in HR, like the men would have had to break through their glass ceiling. And so I I think it's funny that you say like, well, I haven't, I don't think I could be in your shoes and haven't have to break the glass ceiling. Like, I honestly think that you have in some occasions, right? And I don't think it has to do specifically with just being a female or or being a Hispanic female. I think it just comes with anything that you could ident- identify with that anybody can have a potential like prejudice or bias towards that you have to break the, the glass. Like, 
especially in HR, for like if I see a guy in HR, I'm like, oh man, that guy probably has to be super in tune with his feelings or has to have a really big heart or something that it's like, I'm already creating that stigma of saying you have to work harder because you're a guy instead of me where I'm like, it's just, it's easy and it comes naturally to me when it really is like, if I'm honestly really hard because I'm meeting, I'm like, just go away. But I also think that that perception of having to work harder or be different or be better didn't really, it got instilled in me like from my mom, not necessarily from like work or experiences that I've done professionally I think my mom's my mom has always been like you're a female so you have to take care of yourself because the person that's going to get pregnant is you not the guy and the person that's life is going to change is yours not theirs and she would always have those conversations that it's I think she's the one that created more of that stigma for the glass ceiling of having to work harder or having to Carry yourself in a certain way. Not that I think she was doing it with ill intent, but definitely came a lot from her. And I do think because of some of the things that my mom instilled and some of the things that she taught me made me want to work harder to prove that I can be and I am better. Like, I did not want to be a stay-at-home wife and feel that stigma of I'm going to wash and cook and clean for you. Like I always said, I'm never going to do that. I'm going to hire somebody and they're going to do it for me. I'm still very much in that mindset and I'm working towards that. And one day I swear <laughs> I'll have me. But <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I think that just motivates me to want to be more successful and try harder. And it like gets me really upset when... I hear like people in my workplace or other work competitive workplaces that's like, well, we have to promote them because they meet this specific demographic or we're low in this gender. So we now have to go and hire them or go out and don't hire me because I'm a brown female. Hire me because I am competent and hire me because know that I am capable of doing the job, right? It almost makes me so upset because I feel like there are times where now we, I don't want to say enable, but I want you to want me because of my potential and my ability, not because I check a box. I do want to add on to that because I've rejected yeah. a job before because they said that I was going to be their diversity hire. They they said, you're gay, you're Hispanic. You definitely will diversify this place a little bit more. And I think it was like a hiccup on their end. They weren't supposed to say that. And I just felt really offended and I rejected the job. It was going to be a really good, high paying job, but my <laughs> pride got in the way because like I said, I didn't want to be that that like person that they're going to put on the flyer for the whole agency just because I look different so like for y'all what do you think about that I just feel like once you check that box and you can you guys can correct me if I'm wrong but a lot of companies will keep you in that box yeah so you're hired for that position because you checked a box off for that position so you're already hired within the company they've already met whatever quota it is that they're going to write you off on and now it's time to promote or time to switch roles and whatever it is but you're stuck in that box that you've already checked so I feel like in a sense it could be a good thing that you're checking that box off for somebody because you're benefiting yourself you're getting that position to maybe go to a different company that's going to appreciate you but at the same time, like Jaime said, do you go through with your pride or do you just fill in the box for the time being? In my 
role and in my like field, I guess, per, my current field, it's, it's still very, it's the stigma is very women powered and women in higher ed and education. Right? And I think we not even in just higher ed, but in, in high school and middle school, I think it's education in general is just very female dominated. And it's very hard for men to even break that glass ceiling for on their side because they could come up as creepy and it's predatorial and it's a little bit more difficult for them to get into these roles when females kind of go like, yeah, I, I think one of the things is very, the stigma is very much there because when we have positions open for my department, as soon as we get a male candidate, we're like, oh, we should bring them in for an interview. Like we, we need more men in our department. We need more men in our field. So we, regardless of qualification or so, like we do want them to be as qualified as possible but um, sometimes we do just bring them in because they're male we need more men in the education area um, that is definitely it, it's a little i think it, in higher ed it's a little bit different or in education in general in thinking through what i was saying before like i don't want to be misconstrued as you shouldn't bring diversity or have a different mix right because that's important you want to be able to relate like employees you have like less of a turnover and like more job satisfaction if like your manager looks like you and you can relate to your manager and having a healthy diversity mix is very very important i think it's just more and giving you this role because you meet meet that diversity like i yeah to me that just very much turns me off for me i'm really into the whole try to get be diverse like i was the co-founders of the dni group in my agency and i really do believe that we should diversify as much as possible. But the problem that I have is that all the ground workers are diverse, but all the upper management are white. So that's what the problem is. I feel like in order for us to make true change, we need to change the top, diversify them. Then it'll trickle down to, like Rosie said, there's nothing more like prideful than have a manager who is like, like, like you that speaks like you, like, like not to trash my old supervisor, but he was a white cisgendered male. And then when he left the agency, he got replaced by an, a female who's LGBT and speaks Spanish. And then like it's just like the whole dynamic just changed. You're able to speak your language. You're able to relax a little bit. They understand points of view and parts of you that you don't have to explain to your supervisor why you need a certain to do certain things. They just I get think it. That it. Sometimes it's hard with the organization or wherever you work out, right? Like I mentioned. For me, like it is very male dominated on the operator side, right? And then when you have a general manager that's running your site, like we, right before I took over, like for that side, we also had a white male and then a white female for HR. And then here come me and my GM now, and we're both Hispanic, Latina, or both Latinas and both um, female, and we, like we, the dynamic change and you get a lot of questions like, how do you, how did you get to there? But there's not a lot of her where we were, right? And like, she's almost like one of a kind. And then it's like, how does she influence other leaders that are lower levels to continue to stay with the company, to want to grow so that they can one day be a general manager and run that building and have a very similar dynamic. And it's, it's just, I want to say that it's, it's not common to have a female in a high dominant 
like high level operational role. But I also think it goes a little bit with, within the stigma of women will take time off to go and tend to their families or have kids and things like that. And so some women were, well, if I'm constantly at work and like work, that type of role is very demanding. And like, you have to have a committed spouse or partner to be able to really commit the patient for you to be a successful leader in that building, in that role. Um, it almost takes yeah. time away from your family. So you have to have like a that pair. But if you don't have that, like, I think that's where sometimes like females will struggle in that, like, at least in my organization, to want to continue to stay at the top or work or their way up because it's like, I, I have to have these other responsibilities. And so we almost like step aside and let others win because we have other responsibilities that maybe may be important to us. But like, I don't know that we're ever going to break away from all the stigma and systematic because it's like you're it's ingrained in your mind that like males are at the top and then like well women come skin right and it's like they're the ones that are like winning and i think we have just have to change the way that we think through that and allow ourselves to win as well and say no if they can i can do it and if they can be at the top so can i right and so i think there's a much deeper rooted I don't see issue, but like deep rooted core of knowledge or whatever that goes back to a long time that we have to change systematically. And I think this newer generation is doing a really good job of, of changing that of saying, Hey, like, I don't need to meet the criteria that's in the spot, like what Ness said, or I can be that. And then some, and they're really changing the status quo. Although some of the stuff that I'm like, why are you like, it's not that serious, but I'm like, glad that they are taking it to that extent because it's like, we haven't won for so long that it's like almost it takes that mentality to to change it and to challenge it. Yeah, it's a little bit of a sh- yeah. I like yeah. that you say that yeah. because some sometimes we are so resistant to what they're trying to do, but it's necessary to create that sustaining change. I know mm-hmm. we had this whole training on gender pronouns at work, and people were just like, "I don't get it. It's a waste of time. What the heck? It's not about that. It's about respect." And I stood up and I told them, like, I have an easy name that it's said wrong so many times. I was like, it's Jaime. But I get Jamie. I get Jane. I get Javier sometimes. And I was like, like, very stereotypical. And people get my name wrong all the time. So I was like, I get it why they want their pronouns to be. It's just a sign of respect. People who actually try to get to know you, they're like, hey, Jaime, how's it going? Versus people who just don't care. They're going to say whatever is convenient for them because they don't respect you. That little microaggression yeah. goes a long way because then you get ingrained. They just don't care about me. Why should I? I think care? it's even true for myself because my my name in itself is very difficult and people mispronounce it all the time. And I think it means a little extra special when people go out of their way and they're like, oh, I'm like, oh, my name's Vernice. And they're like, oh, really? And I'm like, actually, it's pronounced Vedenice, but it's so you can say Vernice or you can just call me Vede because I know that it's hard. And then they're like, no, that they make the efforts to call me that. And he said, and then when I meet with them again, they're like, oh, and then they say it correctly. I'm like, you're a top notch person. Thank you so much. Because that just means a lot. <laughs> so the last question that I kind of want to wrap everything with is how, what do you think we can do to build a more equitable and more fair community, like at our work, in our personal lives, just the people so that we can do our I think part. we have to take a page out of these the Gen Zers, like be almost unapologetically sorry. Like they just moved with a force and 
They don't even care if they offend you. They're just saying that's wrong and it's wrong and you need to change it and you need to get it right. And they don't even care if your feelings are hurt or if you're like, I can. They're like, well, you need to figure it right. Kind of goes back to like your name. Like, we allowed and we created shortcuts for people to say, hey, it's okay for you to call me Vede or Verne. We created that instead of saying, no, my name is Vedenise and you need to try a little harder. Um, and to yeah. just be, I think we need to put, help them continue to push the force and be not so reluctant to the change and say, and almost welcome and say, hey, you're probably right. And I didn't think about it like that. How do I become better? Yeah, that's true. And I think it's also educating yourself and unlearning a lot of the things that you grew up and, oh, this is what I know. And then although it's difficult to accept and doesn't make sense to you in the time being, like things change, things change all the time. And it's, we don't live in a perfect world. So change is bound to happen regardless. But educating yourself and learning, accepting that you are wrong and taking ownership that, yeah, I was incorrect and I do apologize, but let me fix it. I think that's really and says a lot about you as a person rather than just letting shit slide and going unnoticed because you just don't want to deal with it or don't want to go with the repercussions of what that's going to look like for you. Yeah. Yeah. And to piggyback off of that, I definitely do think that we do need to be a little bit more graceful with forgiving people because you do grow and you do evolve. You know, I'm not the same person that I was in high school when I would make stupid comments and have a certain type of mentality. I'm not the same person at all. And I feel like that goes for a lot of people, like with the whole thing with like cancel culture that was like brought on to us. We're very quick to react. And I get it if it's being said as a now thing and it's come on, we're a little bit more aware of what should and should not be said. But people will dig things out of the woodworks that were said 10 plus years ago or done 10 plus years ago. And how do you, yeah, people learn from their past and they probably already knew like how they were. And now they've made the conscious decision to change, whether it was as a celebrity or whatever, when they come out publicly and apologize for something that somebody dug up on and you we're not giving them the chance to correct themselves to see who they are now. And instead, we're just, nope, they're done. They said a homophobic comment or racist comment, but in all reality, with the generation that we grew up with as our parents, that's who... We were just like them. We made the same comment. We did everything the same as them. I think we all try to do the best we can based on the knowledge we have at that moment. And we shouldn't be like, yeah, I think we we do need some accountability. But at the same time, we need to, like you said, be a little, have some grace. But the people that I have zero tolerance for are the people who double down. And they're the ones. Like if they double down, like if there's some like a or genuine, yeah. like a, I'm sorry, I did genuinely did not mean that. Okay, let's be a little bit grace. Let's have some grace for them. But if they're doubling down and just being an asshole. Oh, yeah. Because you can tell the people who are genuine from the people mm -hmm. who aren't. Yeah, 100%. I, I think, again, it just goes back to the willingness. 
like wanting to try and wanting to like be better, not just for yourself, but for those around. And I, it was a different time growing up for us. I think the wordage or the verbiage that we used to use, it was just so common that it's like wasn't a second thought. Like it would just come out of your mouth because that was the slang. And that was what we said to our friends just to like mess around. And now it's very much not that way because people get educated and people know and you learn the history behind certain things and things mean differently right like certain words mean different things so I think it's just like the conscious effort of making it to where you're not like how am I trying to say this like not trying to be rude and disrespectful but if you genuinely are just like saying a word and someone just like hey don't say that because that's not okay like people at work see shit all the time and I'm like ooh. You should mm-hmm. do that because that's not right. Or maybe we should come back to this because you just said a really asshole comment and we need to fix this. And they're like, well, I'm just saying because I'm just messing around. Like, I get it. You're messing around. But sometimes that's not OK, especially when you're saying to a, a lot of people and a lot of people are uncomfortable and nobody else is saying anything like we yeah. need to stop. I completely agree. But I do know that we've went around a little bit past time. So I just want to say thank you ladies for being on here and for sharing all your tidbits so, so thank you everyone for, for being on and we'll catch on we'll catch up soon love you guys okay. thank you for listening to the finding the unicorn and you podcast i truly appreciate you listening and i hope you enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights if you like what you heard please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite platform keep listening keep learning and keep growing until next time this is dr jaime gabriel regoza signing off